The police department can jump on the psychic bandwagon as much as they want, but that is not a substitute for good, solid police work. Psychic? And You're using a psychic? What's his name? Welcome back, friends. We hope you enjoyed both episodes of Train to Busan. In case you missed it, we did Train to Busan twice because we tried it two different ways. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to both of those yet, please do and let us know which one you liked better. We're trying to decide if we want to stick with the long-form synopsis discussion or if we would just want to keep it loosey-goosey, so to speak. So you can do that by filling out our submission form. And you can link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. And you can either game the system, as Matt suggested, by just putting dashes in my obligatory questions and putting your feedback in the feedback section. Or since you're there anyway, you can give us a suggestion about what you'd like us to watch. I'd love to start putting some things on here that neither Matt nor I have seen, which, as it turns out, includes the sequel to Train to Busan entitled Peninsula. Ooh. Yeah, so we might have to put that on the schedule after everything, everywhere, all at once. Might even have to be a watch-along. We'll just have to see how our flagship watch-along, everything, everywhere, all at once goes. I don't have a scheduled date for that yet, but once I do, I'm going to be posting it on the Instagram. Sometime next year, I guess. So the dozen or so of you out there that are listening to this, do feel free to go follow us on Instagram because that's where I do most of my updating. Trying to get better about doing the Patreon too, but I have the bandwidth for exactly one social media account at a time. And right now, I'm focused on the Instagram account. So that's the best place to keep up with any kind of information and updates. This is our weekly television segment, and we are covering Forever Night, Season 1, Episode 6. Dying to know you. Dying to know you. This was a good one. <laughs> I wish I'd had the, I wish this had been a watch along because I want to have recorded the genuine sound of mirth that Matt made several times during this episode. It's the flying scenes. It's the flying scenes. <laughs> I knew you'd love there them. There are several. I knew you'd love them. And you did. You laughed. It was like a hearty belly laugh. It was like Santa coming down the chimney, child's discovered Santa. It, it had all the magic and mystery and rolling, rich warmth of Santa's deep belly laugh. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So I guess we just get into it so we can tell everybody the good news about why you were chortling so heartily during the episode. Okay, so this one's about a psychic... Wait, first. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Can't not do our intro. It's our shtick. Gotta stick with our shtick. So this one's about a psychic, a 
successful, reliable psychic. Yes. That's been working with the department for years. Whom we've never heard of before. And Nick has never heard of before. And nobody but Stone Tree has heard of. And Skanky doubts them, the even though they have yeah. a long, reliable track record with the department. That's because Myra's cousin is a psychic, and she told Myra that Skanky wouldn't live to see another spring. And so he's been forced to eat low-fat yogurt and tofu. And I think we get <laughs> a sense here in the phone call that Skanky has with his wife about why there may be some tension in their relationship. Yes, yes, but that's much farther down the line. <laughs> I'm sure Skanky's not the easiest man to uh, be married to. So we open, as usual, our cold opening is the crime. Very rarely is our cold opening anything but the crime we're about to investigate. Right. And so we see a limo, which this is another moment where we have to put on our 1992 glasses and pretend that this limo is new and flashy and cool and not weird and old. Although, fun fact, my best friend in high school, her uncle owned this exact limo, and it's what we took to prom. <laughs> and he rented a chauffeur's costume. And drove us all around. Wow. Yeah. And he turned all the bench seats so that they weren't in like limo configuration. They were like a bus. So they were like lined up. Ew. <laughs> so anyway. That's horrible. Well, there was like seven girls. It was okay. But yeah, we didn't get to like pal. And there was like, he'd put in seats with seat belts and everything. So it was like being in a bus, but a limo shaped bus. <laughs> but it was free. <laughs> A limo-shaped bus. <laughs> bus. But it was free, and it was fun. And I was, what, like 17? So I didn't give a shit. Uh, but the driver sitting in the front seat, and uh, Matt immediately picked out that there's a guy in another chauffeur's outfit standing outside. And he's like, oh, that guy's going to kill him and take his place. It, it was pretty easy. Yeah, sure enough, that's exactly what happens. But we're kind of interspersing this with images of someone exercising. Which I have to love her like a new person headband, dedicated sweat when she's clearly like watching us sweating to the oldies video or something. Yeah. Yeah. So she she stands up, takes her shirt off and Matt's like, oh, talk about scenes that end too soon. <laughs> uh, but we do cut to her in the bath. So she's taking a bath. Well, this guy has already replaced the poor chauffeur and shoved him somehow into the passenger seat without anybody noticing. I don't know how he got a whole adult male size body from the driver's seat to the passenger seat, head up. Right. He would have had to pull him out and then push him feet first. Yeah. And he's like on like a, a busy street. Body. Yeah. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And so the two women that were in the, in the limousine come back. And they tell him Hop where to in, go. Go to the next store. Yeah. I said Alfonso's, George. <laughs> yeah, because they're out getting new wardrobes. Um, so they tell the driver where to go, but he doesn't go there. And so they're immediately suspicious. And then they realize uh, that this isn't their driver because, of course, they didn't recognize their staff. And <laughs> they weren't like, is that George? I don't know. They all look the same. My staff all look the same. Right. So then we cut to... Uh, Nick and Skanky investigating the well, first the, garage. The psychic calls it in. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's she goes, uh, there's been a kidnapping. I don't know where, but there's been a kidnapping. No, Captain Stonetree. No, I, I don't know where, but I do know there's been a kidnapping. And that's Minority our... Minority report. That's our, huh. I don't know why this woman knows that there's been a kidnapping. That's really weird. Hmm. But we won't know for a while because we cut to the intro. So we get our minute and a half of sick beats. Nigel Bennett's sultry tones talking over it. And then we come back and Nick and Skanky are investigating the scene. Well, they're, they've arrived there. They don't know why the captain called everyone in. Yeah. This this lady, this lady shows up that called it in. Yep. And turns out she's a psychic. Right. She knows it was a brown van and Yeah. Which Nick is like information. Well, all right. Nick's kinda like, okay, sure, I'm listening. I'm listening. Skanky's like, uh, why are we why why is she here? Yeah, Skanky's immediately skeptical and he remains our skeptical voice throughout the entire episode. And this is a trench coat convention. This is a khaki trench coat convention. Uh, They must have had a... I noted it last time that there was a lot of khaki trench coats, but they must have had a surplus. Either that or that was like the only coat they had in the costume room. So every time somebody arrived and they needed a coat... They They got a bulk discount. They just got a bulk discount. The production studio got a bulk discount. And I have a feeling there's actually only... this, This is the only coat that was available for purchase in 1992. And it came in three colors. Because almost everyone is wearing the khaki version, except Stone Tree, who's wearing the navy version. And Nick is wearing the black version, but to dis- disassociate himself from the khaki crowd, he's got his collar popped. Nick is also the only one not wearing a tie. We had an in-depth discussion about how weird ties are. Yeah, objectively, objectively. ties are really yeah. weird, right? I mean, they're like a strip of cloth that you wear around your neck. For no actual purpose. They don't hold your collar closed. They don't keep you warm. They don't display status, but they're considered a symbol of formality. Like, I'm in business casual. You can tell because I took this strip of silk and knotted it around my neck. Sometimes I wear a jaunty pin in it. And if I'm wearing a coat, I can keep it tucked in. But if I'm just wearing a shirt, then they're just flapping free. So men are always having to hold the bottom of the tie to keep the tie against their chest when they bend over or do stuff. It's very strange, right? I mean, I get that they're a a continuation of the decorative neck ruffle. Um, but objectively, they have become something extremely strange, right? Just take a step back from the tie for a minute. <laughs> Imagine you've never seen a tie before in your life and you walk in and all these men are wearing tiny, narrow strips of fabric tied around their neck. You'd be like, what does that symbolize? <laughs> are and the nobody can explain it. Are the different patterns different like groups? <laughs> is that what those mean? <laughs> Why is his floral and his plain and his striped and his plaid? Maybe it comes from the uh, like have, wearing a uniform to work. Yeah. As the like dress pants and like button up shirt. And then this is the only fashion accessory that a man that it's acceptable for a like professional man to wear where they can introduce a splash of color or personality. It's possible. It makes sense. My dad always had really brightly colored ties. He always had ones that played Christmas carols too and lit up. 
all of my ties are brightly colored. Yeah, when you wear them, which is never. Yeah, which is ne- yeah. uh, I will occasionally wear a tie when I wear a vest because mm. that way the tie is not flopping around. You could be like Nick in season two and just wear the vest sans tie. I did that too. In grad school, I would I like to dress up. So one of the members of our khaki trench coat crew is Hodges. Hedges. 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 Conrad the, Hedges? The the local rich guy. Yeah, he's like the local charity rich guy. He's the Joel Osteen, Osteen Joel Osteen of uh, Toronto <laughs> in Forever Nightland. Uh, he's like a charitable organization. He runs... Um, human Touch. Human Touch. Uh, so... Denise introduces herself to Hedges because apparently she's worked at Human Touch before. She volunteered. She volunteered there. And Stone Tree introduces her as the psychic who called in the kidnapping. And Hedges is immediately uncertain. He's like, I thought psychics were the police's last resort. And so Stone Tree's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but these guys are the the other ones on the case. So he introduces but Nick and Skanky. Nick and Skanky are the first resort. Yeah. So he introduces Nick and Skanky. And then Denise and Nick have a brief exchange. And she goes, you were positive I wasn't married. Perhaps we share the same gift. And he's like, no, nah, just the lack of a wedding ring. So then when she walks away, he and Skanky are both like, I think she likes me. I think she likes you. I think she yeah, likes you, meaning up. she likes Nick. I think it just increases their rapport. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of similar style television shows of the time were kind of monster of the week, where you had a new supernatural baddie every week. But really, this is more, what woman is going to like Nick this episode? Because <laughs> he's had a new uh, love interest every single episode so far. Which has to chafe because Natalie clearly likes him. And he just chases after literally anything female. Whatever pops up. Whatever pops up. Sometimes they chase him. Ann Foley chased him. And his chasing was more performative. But he does like Denise. We're going to get a lot of Denise and Nick interaction. More, more than we really should. Because, <laughs> as you'll see, Nick's presence is problematic for Denise. Because he's like a giant radio transmitter. And she's, right. she's, she's, she's a finely tuned <laughs> receiver. Yeah. <laughs> and she just opens herself up and then here's Nick. <laughs> yeah. Just because she's trying to have like a psychic moment in the limousine. And she does see the chauffeur. She realizes he was killed in the cab and she points over to the passenger seat and says he was just there. And then she says, I think he's still here. He's close. I can. I can feel the wind. I feel cold metal. But then she starts getting like visions of Nick. He starts walking up because he hears her because the window's open. And suddenly she starts getting some interference. Yeah. And it's uh, it's Nick. He's jamming her station. (laughs) He's just flooding her inputs with all of his vampire-ness because she can't see anything else. But, of course, not knowing what he is, she's... And he should know right away. That his proximity is interfering with this lady's psychic abilities. Right. And if he wants her to actually help, he needs to stay back. Just 
Take like you were like ten feet away before, and she right. was doing great. Right, and then you Can got you go like back three feet away, and she starts getting weird. Yeah, and then later he's like six inches from her, and she like flips out. Yeah, it's like okay, Nick, put the pieces take together, a hinge, yeah. dude. Because <laughs> she's like, I'm old, I'm ancient, I'm so very old, and then she's like, I'm a shadow flying against the moon, and he's like, that's fine. I wonder how that's pertinent to the case. It just doesn't get it. And Skanky. Yeah, Skanky's like. Here's evidence. She's crazy. Yeah, she's crazy. I don't know. That's that's weird. So then they go to the morgue because they find the driver. They find him in like an air vent. because Yeah, using the psychic's clues, they find her. Yeah, because he can hear the wind and he feels cold metal. So that's where he is. And I love how Nick opens the grate without. Gloves or anything. His his uh, crime scene etiquette is on point. Yeah, he really does nothing to preserve that crime scene like at all. <laughs> he he just... tries as hard to preserve crime scenes as... Um, I'd say he tries harder to preserve the crime scenes as he does to preserve his identity as a human in this episode. <laughs> I know we get the funny line from Skanky where he's like, low-fat... Low-fat yogurt, Nick. Have you ever had low-fat yogurt? Actually, have I ever seen you eat anything? You want to know what I think about psychics? Not really. A psychic ruined my life. Mm -hmm. I kid you not. Myra's got this aunt. Figures she's got the power. The power to make my life like hell. What she did, she told Myra that I wasn't going to see another spring. So all winter long, I'm eating watercress, bean sprouts, low-fat yogurt. You ever eat low-fat yogurt? Come to think of it, I've never seen exactly what you do eat. Anyways, <laughs> and Nick's like, put it together, Skanky. Figure it out. But they go to the morgue because that's where the driver's body is. And Denise is going to give this another shot because shit went sideways last time. She started getting these weird images that literally nobody could put any context to for her. Um, but she's willing to try again. So she gets back in the headspace of the driver. And she repeats some of his lines from the very beginning. And then she starts seeing Nick. And it's scenes from the first five episodes. And a couple made-up ones. But mostly it's just clips from the first five episodes. But she literally starts screaming. Because he's, like, hovering. Right. He just gets closer and closer to her the more distracted she gets. Yeah. And then he does the wrist grab where he grabs her wrist and pulls her back towards the table, and he's like, try to get back in the car, Denise. Try to get back inside the car, Denise. Like, Nick, you're the problem. You are the problem. You could have sent Skanky, and this would not have been a problem, but you are the problem. Well, then we cut to the precinct, which is where Skanky is, and he's there with Stone Tree, and Stone Tree's on the phone with the mayor. And it's kind of a weird... I don't know, chit-chat with the mayor. But Exerting then he, political influence. Yeah, and then he hangs up the phone and he's like, why is it every time it rains I'm the only one without an umbrella? Why is it when the sky opens up, I'm always the one without an umbrella? What'd you find? I like Stone Tree's lines. I like Stone Tree. He's good. He's one of my, he's my favorite captain. Um, but Skanky's still being an asshole about the whole 
psychic thing, which is in keeping with Skanky. We believe it. We believe that Skanky is absolutely unwilling to suspend disbelief and let Denise help them. And he believes he's the only one doing actual police work on this. Right. And he mentions that Conrad Hedges is a literal saint. Like he's met Mother Teresa, which is slightly problematic now. Right. In in retrospect (laughs) of the last few years. Yeah, but... We're framing Conrad Hedges as somebody who is above reproach. Right, in the 90s perception of Mother Teresa. Yeah, and so Stone Tree says, well, often saints have more skeletons in their closet than anybody else does. And that's when Conrad Hedges walks in and he's like, well, while you're investigating me, you might want to investigate the actual kidnapper. And he's gotten a letter and it has a ring one of his... And there's a ransom demand. Yeah. And there's a ransom demand. And the ring is supposed to be proof of life, which they're all like, well, at least we know they're alive. It's just a ring. When you die, your jewelry doesn't evaporate. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing that makes that proof of life. Just proof of, like, possession. That's it. Right. Yeah. But I guess we couldn't send somebody a finger on network television <laughs> 30 well, years ago. Well, e- even that isn't proof of life. Well, you can tell I, if the finger was severed when they were alive or, or if it was true. severed when they were dead. Yeah. But but you could only say the finger was severed when they were alive. It doesn't necessarily prove they're alive now. So in an effort to drive the investigation forward, we get Denise again. So Nick is apparently Denise's self-appointed handler because he gets her and takes her to Hedge's mansion. Which this is supposed to be a mansion. They make a big crack about how big this house is. This is not a big house. This is not a mansion in the way we think of mansions now. Which is just, it's interesting to see how different our perceptions were 30 years ago versus now. Because this is, I'm pretty sure two neighborhoods over from us, this is every single house in the neighborhood. And it's considered a standard neighborhood. Yeah, we've been to some more fancy neighborhoods and... Like the houses are twice as big. Yeah. And they're all they're in a row. Yeah. And when she uh when Nick picks up Denise, she's taking some pain pills because she says she has a headache. And then she asks him, Do you believe in past lives, Nick? Detective Knight, do you believe in past lives? Well. You should. So they get some walking around. Nick stays away for like a hot minute because he's talking to the people downstairs, but then he immediately joins her. And of course, as soon as he joins her, all of her progress just melts. So she was actually hearing conversations between Conrad Hedges. And right. His when wife. she was guiding herself around the house. Yeah. But then as soon as he comes up, she, they're like standing in front of a mirror and she looks over and his head is away from us. And then he turns around to look in the mirror and he has his like vamp makeup in, he's got green eyes and bangs. And she's like, Oh my God. <laughs> And she does a good job of containing herself. Yeah. Probably because her psychic ability has exposed her to a lot of surprising graphic images. Yeah. Maybe not this surprising or graphic because right. these seem pretty shocking. Probably not the this consistent. But she does kind of refocus herself and she realizes that Janice's room. Janice's room is right behind them. And so she walks in there and she's about to open this box, which apparently she's been drawn to. And when she opens it, we see like Nick in a coffin <laughs> reaching for her and she starts screaming. 
But then we get a phone call and they call Nick downstairs and they found Jennifer's body. The mom. The mom. So she's been murdered and found and Janice is still missing. So Conrad makes a video plea, like a televised plea to the kidnappers to return his his little girl. And Stone Tree's like, well, great, that makes us look real good. Right, he promises no more interference from the police. Yeah, so Stone Tree gets his, or Skanky gets his, like, ooga booga line. He's like, well, if we weren't focusing on the psychic, maybe we would have solved this case already. And Nick gets a little, I mean, everybody gets a little mildly angry at Skanky at times. I mean, sometimes they're real buddy-buddy. And sometimes everyone's just like, oh my god, shut up, Skanky. I feel like he's that friend that thinks he's really, really funny. And they're not as funny as they think they are. And everyone is continuously telling them that they're not as funny as they think they are, but they just refuse to believe it. That's what I think Skanky yeah. is. Yeah. Poor Skanky. Poor Skanky. But Denise is off the case. That was the final straw for Denise. Right. She meets with Stone Tree. Yeah. She's like, she's just, off. everything's it's too traumatic. I can't. Something about Nick. And he's like, well, what did Nick do? <laughs> Which we just did come off the episode where Nick was making an ass of himself. When whether or not everyone was in on it, he did a really good job being a convincing asshole. So Stone Tree is a little bit like, oh my God, what did Nick do? And she's like, no, 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 he didn't do anything besides hover. (laughs) Right. And I think she's kind of embarrassed because her ability isn't working and she's already done so much. She has this long history of work with the police department. Yeah. And now her ability is failing her and she can't figure out what the problem is. Right. And through all this, we've been getting our flashback, which our flashback is like indeterminate location. We don't get a good context because we're only ever inside the barn. And we get pilgrim style clothing where they have black jacket shorts or black jacket and pants and then a white shirt. And Nick, again, is wearing no neck decoration. He doesn't have the fluffy black scarf thing, the ascot-type tie around his neck that his friend does. And his friend's name is Matthew. And Matthew apparently caught Nick flying. And he's just been trying to figure out what's going on. Did he really see his friend flying? Did he not see his friend flying? Is he going crazy Is the Lord sending him visions to drive him mad? And Nick doesn't really help him. He's like, I don't know, man. Devout people don't see that kind of stuff. Under the old oak tree again. No. I saw something. A demon. Some dark power thrown up from the pit. A trick of the moonlight. An owl. A cloud, perhaps. Never a demon. Devout men are troubled by such things, Matthew. Which the subtext there is, so if you're seeing these things, yeah. you're not truly devout. You're not truly devout. So rather than so shut up about rather it already, than what Matthew. Nick was trying to imply, you are devout. So you just probably didn't ignore see, those things. Yeah, you didn't see what you thought you saw. Yeah, it's just your imagination this playing up Nick's on you. This is Nick's inability to hide what he is. In a historical context where somebody saw him flying and they weren't immediately willing to dismiss it. They wanted to confront Nick about it and they did. 
and he lies through his motherfucking teeth. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. What's troubling you? Is the fox in the hen house again? And then Matthew catches him coming back in the middle of the night. And he says, Nick, what do you do when you go out? Nick's like, hunting. (laughs) But of course, Nick comes back. What manner of beast do you hunt? (laughs) He's like, that fox that troubles you so. But of course, Nick comes back all vamped out. He couldn't put that away before he came back to the barn. Right. And Before you open the door, Nick, Yeah, compose yourself. It's so we can get the vampire side eye, where he hears that Matthew's in the barn, and he just turns his head three-quarter profile, and then does the vampire side eye, where he slides his green-eyed contacts up to the side. So we get this fierce side eye glare that he gives to Matthew, like, why will this man not drop it? Look, I'm sorry, I went for a jaunty midnight flight. You caught me. Can you forget about it already? Can you just... Write it off like everybody else does. He's probably never encountered anybody who didn't just rationalize away his bullshit before. But Matthew's unwilling to. He keeps confronting him. So one thing about the Matthew character. So we watched this episode, and then we didn't get a chance to record right away. So we have some time tonight. So we watched the episode again, and Rachel made a comment about, oh, I guess Nick has only ever met two psychics in his life. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's only one psychic in this episode. But apparently Matthew is supposed to be a psychic. Well, that's the way I've always read it. Because he's like, the things I see. Right. And so in light of that, when he makes some of the comments about waking up in the middle of the night in a sweat with these images. Yeah. It's like, okay, now I can kind of see that that interpretation. Yeah, where, maybe he's not as finely tuned as Denise. Right. But where he's getting kind of the the raw edge of Nick's overwhelming transmitter vampire powers. Right. And apparently he's immune to being like hypnotized, hypnotized yes. by Nick. So yeah. he's probably just that much more aware of reality versus what seeing what he expects to see. Or his brain is just that different enough that whatever hypnotism does, it doesn't work. Because Nick tries to hypnotize Matthew, but it doesn't work. And he's like, you're doing something to my brain. You need to get out. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry, Nick. I took you in. You're my best friend. I'm so sorry. What are you? And Nick's like, "Uh, I'm just one of God's creatures, just like you, Matthew. And then he leaves. And then we go back to modern times. And Natalie is at Nick's apartment. And she's making so, him a okay, shake. Wait, uh, I want to go back to Matthew for a moment. <laughs> That's the, the sound. The immediate turnaround when Matthew is challenging Nick about, like, what are you? Yeah. And, like, being angry at him. And then he immediately backtracks and is like, oh, hold on. I'm sorry. Like, you're my friend. Makes me think that... Matthew doesn't have any other friends. Right. He's, if he is mildly psychic in that era, he's going to be the like weird guy in town that nobody wants to interact with. So it kind of makes sense that if he finds somebody that will actually just treat him like a regular person, he's going to hold on to that person. Right. And so if he finds out that the one person that he's been holding on to 
even that person is deceiving him. Nick's comments, Nick's behavior comes off as really like personally traumatic yeah. to Matthew. Right, because he thought they were best friends. They were misfit friends. Because right. Nick isn't misfit as much as Matthew is. And here even the other misfits aren't willing to accept him. So that's where Nick leaves him. He leaves the barn. And we cut back to modern times. And Nick is actually telling Natalie about his memory. He's telling her about this flashback. And she's making him a shake and she hands him the cup. Like a protein shake. Like a protein shake. And he goes, why is it so pale? She's like, not all protein has to be red, Nick. <laughs> He's like, well, all right, whatever. And she says, uh, you should just tell, just tell Denise. Just tell her. The truth will set you free. And he goes, well, they may say that. The truth can set you free. Or hadn't you heard? Well, they may carve that in stone. But it ain't necessarily so. And then he flirts his way out of having to drink this shake. Which flirting... Mm. Flirting, flirtation, and serendipity get him out of F having to drink this shit. Yeah, he takes one sip of it, and that's it. And he keeps he just hands it to Nat after a while because he's managed to flirt and get distracted enough. Right. Well, then she hands it back to him, and he's about to have to take like a gulp to satisfy yeah. her. And then the phone rings. Yeah, Stone Tree calls because Denise is off the case, and Hedges is now missing. <gasps> And Natalie had asked him, what happened to your friend Matthew? And Nick's like, well, you know, stuff. <laughs> but then we get the resolution of his flashback, which is he arrives back at home or back at the barn. And Matthew has hung himself, which this is the third episode in a row where we have dealt with suicide. Last act, dance by the light of the moon and now dying to know you have all had suicide in them. 1990, you need to relax a little bit. This is a difficult topic for a lot of people. Right, and this one is a direct result of Nick's, like, asshole behavior. Yeah, and they're just throwing this stuff out there, like candy. I mean, they need to... <laughs> I don't remember there being this much in this show. But this is, I mean, I hope, I actually don't remember if the next episode has it in it, but I hope we break our streak because it's getting a little low hang. I mean, this is getting difficult to forgive because we have used this as a narrative device too many times in a row. So remembering his friend's fate is what he wrestles with when he arrives at Denise's door because as soon as he gets the call from Stone Tree, he gets his magic remote, pushes the button to open his blinds, <laughs> runs over, throws open the window, and... And Natalie tries to get stop him. Yeets himself out the window. <laughs> and you see his feet. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> he just goes, yoink. yoink. <laughs> they really need to put the yoink sound effect on this. <laughs> it would really improve that moment because it's, it's 
it's really difficult to take it seriously because his yeah, feet it's like a very lift cartoony up effect. and then he just like whoops, shoots out the window. <laughs> like he's on a zip like he <laughs> like, leans out the window, hooks himself on a zip line, and then his feet are just suspended. Yes. <laughs> so he, gets, he flies to Denise's apartment and we recycle the footage from Anne Foley's okay, apartment. So in Anne Fol- in the Anne Foley episode, there's the footage where it looks like there's a camera on a rope and there's somebody up high in a tree next to this apartment complex and they're just pulling on the rope to lift the camera up. So the camera's kind of wobbling back and forth. And so it's supposed to be Nick flying up to Anne's um, uh, balcony. This time they play the same exact footage in reverse. In reverse. (laughs) Because this is the second episode in a row where Nick has assaulted a woman in her apartment. (laughs) Luckily, he doesn't come in through the window this time. He comes in through the hall, but he does break her door to get in. He does. Yeah. He, he twists th- the knob hard enough yes, to break it. He definitely could have just knocked. He doesn't even knock. He just breaks her doorknob and walks in. And she's not like, the fuck? How'd you get into my house? She's like, no, you're a figment of my imagination. Get out of here. You're a wisp on the wind. You need to go. And he does the Nick wrist grab where he grabs her wrist really hard. And he's like, I'm real. <laughs> this is as real as it gets. This is as real as it gets. Which comes off kind of creepy. Because then he puts his hand on he her He strokes cheek. her hand on his cheek yeah. and it's a little cringe. <laughs> it's-, <laughs> it's not the last cringe moment in this episode. <laughs> Let me assure you, we have this is not rock bottom. We have so much farther to fall. So then we get the everything you've seen, Denise is real, and she's like, "No, no, I saw you with blood on your face, and I, you were you had fangs." And he's like, uh, "It's real." And then he does the like turn away, turn back, and he has the full vampire makeup on. And the then growl and then he was growls. completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. You were seeing me. No. I didn't see you. I saw a monster that kills. That used to kill. And she's like, oh, thank God. Thank God. I wasn't going crazy. You actually are a vampire. Hold the phone. You are a vampire. And he's like, yeah, a little. Right. Then the exchange of how old are you? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I saw you. You were a monster that, that kills people. And he's like, that used to kill. (laughs) he said i don't anymore i don't drink blood well at least not people blood and so she's reassured by this vampire's word and she's like can you fly he does like a sheepish nod because i think she had one of her flashes yeah i am a shadow flying flying over the moon yeah and he's like yeah i guess and she's like well will you take me sometime and he goes yeah maybe which, this is a common trope, the vampire reveal to somebody. So mm-hmm. they do the whole fang thing because it's like the ultimate proof. I can tell you I'm a vampire, but me showing you. Or I you, can show you. I can show you. And the one time. It's like the author's advice. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. <laughs> so the one time that this gets done, that I think it's done really well. Like, it's almost always cringe. It's, there's, there's really no good way to go about this. But there is one episode of the American version of being human where the vampire character has to reveal himself to this woman because they're trapped in a house and they need to get out and they need her on her side, on their side immediately. 
And so she will not believe them. And he's like, oh my God, don't make me do the thing. She's like, what thing? He turns his face away and he turns back and he has like the eyes, but he just pulls his own lip up to show his fang. And acts, with his finger. Yeah, with his finger. And acts super embarrassed. Like, he can't believe he had to do the thing. The thing. And it is so hysterical that they played with that trope. Anyway, being human, the American version, and the British version, both fantastic. Highly recommended. So after the vamp reveal, Denise is on our side. She's ready. She's back in fighting form. Now she realized what the logjam Right, so she she had been doubting the signals she was getting about Hedges at Hedges' house because she was doubting what she was getting from Nick at Hedges' house. Right. So Nick and Denise arrive at Hedges' mansion in her car. And Skanky's already waiting there because Nick has called him. And we get some of Skanky's casual weekly sexism where he is totally not afraid to insult Denise. Great, great. You're dragging me out of bed for this sideshow? Hey, Skanky. Your wife was out tonight, wasn't she? Yeah, she was bowling. Yeah, that's right. Bowling. (laughs) And so Skanky calls Myra, and this is the call Uh, that Matt referenced at the uh, top of the show, where he's uh, like, so would you, he's doing the, like, cop interrogation technique where he's asking her for specific details that if she'd actually gone bowling, it would have been easy for her to remember. But she clearly doesn't know because he's like, well, what did you bowl? Was it your 160, 180 or your usual 86? And then he says, well, who won? And he goes through like a series of specific questions trying to get her to give details. And he's like, you don't even know how to play poker. And then she says something and he ends up hanging up and he's like, oh, sloth. Well, that's better than what she called me last week. Which is probably more like Myra doesn't appreciate being interrogated. Right. Yeah. That's probably like a normal thing in their relationship where he brings work home with him. Yeah. And he can't turn it off. And now Denise is getting a better reading at the mansion, especially since Nick is not hovering. He's down like fussing with the phone because Hedges got some kind of phone call and cut it off. So they don't have the full recording. Right. And then he left, and that's he's been missing since then. And Denise calls him upstairs, and she tells him that something's going on. There's something. Jennifer and Janice knew something about Hedges, and that's why they were kidnapped. Which right. Nick he was actually, keeping some secret. Actually, Nick earlier in the episode is like, do we even know that this is a kidnapping? Can, why can we not entertain the idea that this is on this is something other than a kidnapping? And they're all like, oh, Hedges, this is absolutely a kidnapping. Well, it turns out for once, Nick was right and not skinky. Happens every once in a while. Yeah. So they go back to the morgue. And I love Natalie's outfit. Okay, so in this scene, <laughs> Rachel mentions like, oh, yeah, Natalie's outfit. Like, this is her, like, the, what she wears at home. Doesn't she normally work the night shift? Because Nick is always showing up during his normal shift. And Natalie's there. It could like, have been her day this off. This is her normal work day. Could have been okay, her day it off. It could have been her day off. Yeah. Yeah. They don't explain. It's just they make it clear that she was called in on short notice. Right. And a lot of times when Nick goes to the morgue, he arrives with Skanky. So it oh, could so be one of those things where it's day like shift, night shift. Yeah. Transition. Where she works from till like midnight or one. 
And then after that, she leaves. So this could have been past the time when she normally works. And she's wearing like pajamas with this cool rainbow heart blazer jacket or or a bomber jacket over top of it. I love this jacket. And it's like a Virginia Tech or a Virginia something. I don't know my Virginia schools. But it's like a Virginia shirt that she's wearing underneath of it, which I thought was an interesting choice considering we are in Canada. And so Natalie has a report about the contents, like a chemical analysis of the contents under Jennifer's fingernails. And there's commercial grade uh, powdered milk. Yes. And so... uh, they're like, wow, that's weird. Where would that come from? Oh, what about a multinational charity that has a huge food bank? Oh, that could be it. Over on Armory Road. And so Nick's like, okay, I'm going to go take care of it. And Denise's like, take me with you. And Nick's like, uh, hard pass. <laughs> hard pass, Denise. Ah, poor Denise. I know. So after all that, he roped her in, got what he needed from her, and then ditches her at the morgue because he just takes <laughs> off. Uh, which she takes off immediately after him. And so he gets to the warehouse and he gets the sliding. He overhears the whole thing. Well, he gets the sliding open, the locked slide door where he breaks <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He breaks the obviously false prop lock. Right. And the, I thought the set department did a good job of making a convincing looking fake lock out yeah. of some bendable material. It's probably lead yeah. or the, the loop on the lock. Something easy. Because he like bends and breaks the lock as he slides open the door, but doesn't in any way bother the small eyelid. The loop attached to the door is actual steel. Yeah. But then the loop on the lock itself is something bendable. Yeah. So without harming anything but the lock, he pushes this door hard enough to bend a metal master lock. And then he overhears the whole evil scheme. Which it turns out, as everybody's probably guessed by now, Hedges had his wife and daughter kidnapped because he's been skimming off the top for years and they realized it. So the kidnappers that he hired did kill Jennifer, but they didn't kill Janice. They And have they got a surprise for Hedges? They maliciously left Janice alive and told her everything. I'm alone? Of course I'm alone. Where's Janice? She's alive. You were supposed to kill her. So he has to be the one to kill her. And so he opens the trunk and he's getting ready to shoot her. And Nick, oh no, then Denise shows up and she's she yells at Hedges, I trusted you. And then Nick gets another flying scene. <laughs> he like <laughs> flying clotheslines the kidnappers. He jumps Which, off. The wire wasn't visible. <laughs> We've got that going for us. We've got yeah. that going. He jumps off an elevated platform and he right. he does the full vamp face thing. Yeah. And he clotheslines these poor guys, these poor kidnappers. These which poor kidnappers who murdered somebody. They do not die, which means this is the second and third person, fourth person so far, counting the very first episode, Dark Knight, where he apprehends the guy with the automatic weapon by yeah. pulling him out the window. The and other guy he pulled held out a window. Held out the window with the vamp face. And then these two guys he clotheslined while flying. And then in a minute, he's going to take Hedges down. He like holds him up above him, 
makes sure he gets full view of the vamp face and then throws him against a wall, not killing him, but knocking him out. So that's five people in six episodes that he has vamped in front of and then not eliminated. So after a while, all of these people arriving at the police station telling everyone that a vampire is the one that arrested them. And it was Detective Nick Knight. And it was Detective Nick Knight. It's some, I mean, it's a room, you know what it reminds me of? At the very beginning of Dexter, when he's talking about how he works with so many cops, but only the one cop gets the creeps from him. Yes. <laughs> Dokes, isn't it Dokes? Yeah. Yeah. Dokes is the only one who gets the creeps. He's like, nobody else realizes what I am. It's exactly what Nick is banking on. Nick is the softcore Dexter because <laughs> he's not killing anybody. But we don't have the one person who's picking up on him. No. Well, just Natalie. But Natalie already knew what he was, which we are going to get an episode about how they met. Okay, that's good. Pretty soon here. Oh, but in the kerfuffle, in the kerfuffle, Denise gets shot. Right, because the... <laughs> Like, this is extremely naive of Nick. For this guy, this this guy grabs... Denise. Denise. This guy grabs Denise, has a gun against her, and is like, put your gun down. <laughs> Nick is like, well, okay, I guess. Okay. He does like a mouth thing. He goes like, ah. He like, he like opens his mouth slightly wider when he throws the gun. <laughs> and then as soon as the gun is out of Nick's hand... Duh, the guy shoots Denise and then runs. <laughs> there's, there's a reason he was known in the fan community as Nick the Brick. Oh, okay. Yes. That's put ourselves in that's the way back machine. Because <laughs> <laughs> Nick should have charged the guy and gotten Conrad to shoot at him. Right. And then Denise doesn't get shot. He's wearing his purple jacket. He didn't want to get a hole in his nice purple members only, vintage purples only, purple members only jacket. Anyway, Whatever. Denise gets shot in the like abdomen. I don't know. So he pulls the gag out of Janice's mouth and he's like, don't worry, the police and the paramedics are on their way. And then he just leaves her alone with three dubiously unconscious kidnappers. And he doesn't actually call it in. We don't see him call it in. Well, maybe he did that while he was flying over. <laughs> What's that wind noise, Nick? I had the top down. <laughs> so, Calling from his cell phone. But then we get our penultimate flying scene where he's carrying Denise. It's very reminiscent of uh, Superman carrying Lois Lane. And there's except, like fake like, stars. lower production quality. There's like fake stars in the background. And they're clearly like on a table. And it's black. And they're just trying to blend all the black together forget sometimes how much lower budget season one is we're not gonna attempt any more flying like this throughout the entire show yeah this is the most third-party view of what he looks like flying that we're really ever gonna get because i think they tried it it failed didn't maybe work the way they wanted it to work and i wonder if there weren't more flying scenes in this episode. Oh, that because, got cut? Yeah, that got cut because we get the, she dies in his arms as she's flying after she wakes up and she's like, oh, it's so great that you can do this. You must be really happy, Nick. And he's like, actually, I've been really sad for the last 800 years, but thank you for mentioning Denise. And then she passes away in his arms. And then we get a pensive moment where he's in his apartment staring out the window. 
And Natalie's like, you can't blame yourself for her death. And he's like, um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. I'm, I'm 800 years old. I can, I can rationalize a lot. I do. <laughs> I do what I want, Natalie. <laughs> I do what the fuck I want. If I want to blame myself for her death, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for the rest of eternity. Because then the episode doesn't end there. That feels like the end of the episode, but I wonder if we didn't cut more because then we have a good five, ten minutes of filler where he's sitting against oh, right. his piano, it's, throwing the ball against the wall. So these scenes were interesting because it seems like they just have like a whole bunch of footage of Nick just chilling in his apartment. Yeah. Maybe looking emotional, maybe looking bored, whatever. And then... They're like, ah, we need to fill some time. We'll cut some of that in. Let's just throw in the filler footage. Yeah. Because they uh, they kind of blew their load on this episode, though, because he's sitting against the piano throwing the ball for a while and throwing the bouncing the ball against the door that he killed his vamp dad on. And then he changes into a dressing gown, a bathrobe type Thing. And he's playing chess with himself. And we have like a top down view of him playing chess with himself. Like we start real close and then we kind of spiral up as it plays this dramatic 90s rock ballad. And then we get our wrap up at the station because we always get our wrap up at the station. But with we, the palling around. With the palling around and the. Yeah. So Nat is there and Stone Tree and Skanky and Nick. And Natalie brings some takeout. And she's like, don't, don't think I'm ever going to do this for you again. And so Nick is holding one of those shakes and Skanky takes the shake and he's like, oh, milkshake. Great. And he tries to drink it, but it's really gross. So then he grabs one of the burgers and takes a bite, but it's a tofu burger. Right. And this is just a tie in back to the intro scene yeah. where he's talking about having to eat healthy Yeah, and how much he hated it. And he runs off and Natalie laughs. And then it looks like she's about to take a drink of the milkshake. Probably because she just had a cup in her hand and it was like a natural uh, part of the acting just out natural, the scene. natural part of being a background character yeah. in a scene is, oh, I have a cup. I need to be doing something with Pretending to drink it or whatever. But that's the end is we get like, a, yeah, Hedges was stealing money. Oh, isn't it sad, Denise? Well, I don't even think we mentioned Denise. Maybe he just ditched her on a rooftop. Took off. Took off. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that was episode six. Dying to know you. It was a good, it was a flashy episode. They were trying something yeah. new. They were like, well, maybe we can show him flying. Let's see how that works out. Didn't work out great, but at least they tried. Yeah, it was an experimental episode. Yeah. You have to experiment and take risks to find out what works and what doesn't. We're on the frontier of television here. So there's not a good playbook to go by. You don't have your established rules quite so set in stone yet. So you can push the push the boundary and try Right. If it's a 30-minute episode, you only need like 22 minutes of content. Yeah. But and that's most of TV at this point. But this is an hour-long show. You yeah. need like 40 some minutes of content. I think it's like 48. I forget what next week's episode's about. I actually haven't seen... False Witness. False Witness. I haven't seen season one as many times as I've seen season two. So it's kind of nice to sit here and go through them in order. Because there's only certain ones that I watch. Like I watched Dying to Know You a fair amount. Because it's a good one. 
It is. Funny, unintentionally and intentionally. The scene where Skanky and Nick are playing tic-tac-toe with the crime scene chalk. I always thought that scene was pretty funny. It's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of downtime. So it was fun to see what happens if you have an investigation where there's a little bit of downtime. It was good. I thought the the story was interesting, even if there were elements of the execution that were... Yeah. I do like how Nick is generally accepting of whatever comes his way. He's sort of, he's immediately willing to believe Denise. Of course, he's a supernatural creature. Right. So believing that psychics exist is not too far of a stretch. So I do like that Nick is usually our accepting one. And then Skanky is generally the devil's advocate, the the skeptic. It's kind of nice because a lot of times we play the older vampire characters as skeptics. Well, I've never run across a psychic before and I've been around this long, so they must not exist. Right. Instead of, well, I've been a really lo- around a really long time and I've seen a lot of really weird shit and I'm more than willing to believe that there's more weird shit that I haven't seen yet. So that's what I like about Nick. All right, Matt keeps yawning. So I feel like that's a cue. Remember, sometimes the strangest things are also the most beautiful. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Remember, sometimes the strange things are also the most beautiful. The strangest things are also the most beautiful. Try again. Remember, sometimes the strange <laughs> things no. are also the most beautiful. You got, no, I'm not keeping that in. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs>